Okay, so you have your outline there in front of you. Uh, today, we're on part seven of our series on the book of Ephesians. Um, and uh, this is just a, a great portion of scripture. I always say it's my favorite portion. Basically, whatever I'm preaching on is my favorite portion. But this morning really is one of my favorite portions of scripture. It's Paul's, I mean, epic apostolic prayer where he prays for the church to come to a fullness of love. And really, when you, when you go through the book of Ephesians and you dissect it, you realize that this prayer that takes place basically right in the middle of the book is it's the centerpiece, it's the hinge pin of the entire book. Everything in, in the book of Ephesians hinges on this prayer right here. And so it's absolutely critical for us to know this prayer, to know what it's about, and, and, and more than that, it's critical for us to understand it for our Christian lives. But even more than that, it's way more important beyond understanding it. It's way more important that we experience the outcome of the prayer. Do you know what I'm saying? We can have a technical knowledge. In fact, I realized as I was approaching this passage, I've preached on this passage lots and lots and lots of times. I can tell you more technical information on this passage than you would even care to know, probably. And, and that's fun. That's good to know the Bible that way. But if we miss the point of the prayer, we've actually missed the point. See, you can understand everything about it. But if you miss the point of it, who cares that you know everything about it? And, and, and that's really what I want to get us to is not just the details about this so that we understand what he's praying or, or where it's coming from, but I want to get us to living in the outcome of this prayer. Does that make sense? And, uh, and I really felt like, just as I was approaching this message today, that the Lord was, he was sort of slowing me down. He was stopping me a little bit. And, and what I mean is, he was wanting me to get to the outcome of the prayer rather than just technical information about the prayer. And so that's really what I want to do is I want to get us living in the outcome of this thing. That's my, my greatest desire for us today. And so we can begin to work through the outline. I'll give you details and understanding of it. But then I really want to just bring us to living in the, the reality of what Paul is praying here. So uh, when Paul prays here in Ephesians three fourteen through 21, I, I mentioned it there in, in the outline. It's really... He's praying this because it's a culmination of everything he's taught them from chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 3. And, and what I mentioned last week is that chapter 3, verse 1 through 13, he kind of goes on this, this bunny trail. But I said it was a Holy Spirit bunny trail, the most anointed bunny trail. And it wasn't something that I think was an accident. I feel like it was the Lord inspiring it. And the Lord says, you know, I really, Paul, I want you to say all these things so that when you pray for the fullness of love... It's actually comprehensive and includes these points as well. And what Paul gives us in the previous 13 chapters about the, the wonder of Christ, coming to know the wonder of Jesus, the, 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 the uh, unfathomable glory of Jesus, and, and, and also that the church would enter into who she is to be a demonstration of the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers. The prayer that he's going to pray the only way that we can do those things that he just mentioned is by the prayer that he's going to pray becoming rooted in our hearts. And, and actually, we live the outcome of this prayer. In other words, he prays chapter 3, 14 through 21. He prays that because of what he's just taught. And so in chapter 1, he prays that we would understand Jesus, the, the spirit of revelation would come on us, we'd understand who he is, his calling, everything about him, the, the power that, that Christ has towards us. And, and then in chapter 2, he explains the gospel. He explains that though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, Christ has raised us up together and seated us with him in heavenly places. And then more than that, he's reconciled us to one another. We've been reconciled to God and to one another. And then in the beginning of chapter 3, he says, in light of this reconciliation, we have to understand that we're to be a demonstration of God's wisdom in the cross. We're supposed to be a demonstration to the principalities and powers, to demon spirits, that as we live out the gospel, that we're a testimony that this thing actually works, that it's real. And then in verse 14, then he finally gets to 
For this reason, I bow my knee and I pray for you. He goes, because all of these other points, they don't work for you unless you come to a fullness of love. And and beloved, this is really where it's at in Christianity. This is really the bottom line. It's all about love. The whole story is about love. I've said this many times, but it's absolutely 100% true. I I have not had a greater change in my life, aside from when I first got saved, I've not had a greater change in my life except for when I, then I, then when I came to know the love of God. And, and, and that's not knowing about it. That's experientially tasting and, 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 and having that, that, those moments of the affections of God filling my heart and my mind where I'm actually understanding the love of God in an experiential way. I remember first coming to grips with the experiential knowledge of the love of God and it blowing my mind. Oh, I'm not just here to be your servant. I'm not just a puppet. You didn't save me to make me a robot or a slave. You saved me because you wanted a relationship with me. Oh my gosh. And more than that, you like me. You actually like me. How could it be that you like me? I'm horrible. I, I mean, I, I make so many mistakes. I fail so often. I, 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 there's so many things I don't know. How could you? You're awesome. You're perfect. I'm, I'm nothing. And you actually have affections for me. And it's not just pity. You know, it, it's not just the affection you have for a puppy. We just got a puppy. Glory to God. And our, and our life has been turned upside down. They're babies without diapers on. Just do the math on that. And we're following them around, and they're awesome. They're so sweet. But I, and I just pity them. I'm like, go out, outside. And he's like, I can't go outside. I don't know what that is. So I'm going inside. Because what I do, I'm a puppy. I just pity. I go, come on, buddy. You got to get. God doesn't even look at us that way. He looks at us as his son or daughter, as his child, and has real affection for us, not just the way that, a master does a puppy, but the, the way a father and a son share relationship, the way a bride and a bridegroom share intimacy, he wants that kind of a connection with us. And this is the whole point, guys. It's the whole point of Christianity. The whole story is a love story. If you think the story is something else, you don't know the story. I can't emphasize that enough and so i feel like the heart of the lord just pleading with with humanity and pleading through me like the whole idea of be reconciled to god is be reconciled in relationship with god be reconciled in intimacy with god i'm not talking about just being saved i'm talking about your affections being opened to where you are going back and forth. You're, you're experiencing the interchange of love with God because that's why he made you. He didn't make you to do you know, some deal, to, to fulfill your calling or purpose. Those are all byproducts of the reason why he made you. He made you to love you. And to have an interchange and an exchange of love with you. And if you don't have that, I'm not saying don't know it. I'm saying if you don't have it, you're living far lesser than God ever made you to live. Because here's where we, I, I think we really have to move from, especially in IHOP. I felt like this. I felt like the Lord just gave me a, a, a real admonition for myself and for us and our spiritual family. We've talked about the love of God a lot. We talk about the love of God as much or more than any place I've ever heard of. And, and we, we preach Song of Solomon. We preach Father Heart of God. We, we preach all these messages. We pray it all the time. You know, we quote after guys that preach it. I mean, we love to quote, you know, people like Piper and, and Mike Bickle and people that have really preached on this message of the love of God. But guess what? It doesn't mean anything if we know about it. If we don't know it, and I mean experientially 
taste and see and continue to live in the fountain of the affections of God's love. Continually live in it. That's why Jesus, when he says, abide in my love, he's not saying, you know, just get it and, and understand that I love you and then move on to something else. He's saying, stay there. The Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now stay there. And you can live, listen, you can live your whole life abiding in the affections that God has for you as your source that plenishes your heart, that that shifts and, and gives you a clear perspective. You can live from that well of the emotions of God. That's how God created you to live. Not in fear, not motivated by success, whatever that is, because really success is just what other people have told you. Not, Not living to protect yourself. You can live from the fountain of the affections of God that have filled your heart, and that can be the natural way you function every single day of your life. Furthermore, that's what you're made for. To function from this place of knowing that you're loved. To knowing, from knowing that you're affirmed. You're cared for. You're thought of. You know what I'm saying? You're safe. See, when we're talking about confidence in love... We're not talking about, you know the idea, so you act brashly. We're talking about, you know the idea, and it's actually penetrated you. It's penetrated your heart, and it's rewired your emotional chemistry. And in recognition of his his amazing greatness, the God that is forever, and then in recognition of this truth, that he is radically in love with you, that that's what sustains you day in and day out. That that's what, that's what causes you to have, you know, security. Being confident in love is all about knowing that you're a weak person that could never earn God's affections, but he likes you anyway. And I just, I go, man, I am a goofball. I, I like how my friend says it. He goes, man, you and me, we're just dorks from Dorkville. And just, I just agree, you know, I just, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating or negative. I just agree. I, I'm just a human. I, I'm just, I'm just dust with, with life blown into me. But man, God likes me. And that's everything. That's absolutely everything. And so when I have that as sort of the core of where I'm operating from, then everything else is just details. Just tell me whatever you want me to do today, Lord. I'm happy to do whatever you want. Because you like me. Because if I have his affections, it doesn't matter who else likes me. I mean, I want to have good relationships with people. But at the end of the day, if I've got his affections, let the chips fall where they may. And here's the thing. If you really have the affections of the Lord, if you have this experience of the, of the, the, the deep drippings of God's heart for you, you won't act arrogantly and brashly. You'll act in light of those affections and you'll begin to see people differently. You'll get it. You'll go, God likes me and I'm so weak and he likes me. Like he really, really likes me. And then that person that tends to tap dance on your last nerve, you know, you just look at them and you go, He likes them too. Oh, wow. You like that person too. Unbelievable. You like me. Like, I thought that was a good one. But you like them? I better like them too. Help me to like them. Help me to love them the way you love them. And beloved, that truth can govern your whole life. And this is when you know that love is working in you when you really are connecting to the love of God, when you don't have to think, what does love act like? Because when love begins to take root in you, you begin to just love. 
And it's the most natural thing. You begin to just give it away. A friend of mine says, you get reduced to love. Love is so powerful. It, when it comes in, all that other junk, it just goes. Love is the, it's the, it's the definer of our reality, and it's the central thing that delivers us from our, our inappropriate fixation with self. Come on. That's not even on your notes. It doesn't even matter. I'm in love and I don't care. No. But really, it's the truth. Like, love is the issue. It's the issue. So, I said kind of, that's kind of what I said in A. In B, Paul hits these, he hits these key points. The key to strength or might in the heart of a believer, the key to strength or might in your heart is love. The key to strength in you is love. Man, I don't know about you, but for years I lived, I'm talking about saved. I lived saved, but really thinking that anybody that emphasized love too much, they probably were just not strong. They were just kind of, you know, syrupy, sweet. They didn't really have like, you know, spiritual aggression. I like, I, I wanted people that were like on fire. I wanted like fiery evangelists. I wanted like Leonard Ravenhill or Charles Finney or give me somebody that's like, you know, just give me somebody strong. I don't want some lovey-dovey thing. I don't need that. I had it completely mixed up. I figured if you wanted to be like a Reinhard Bonnke, you know, you just had to have like judgment as your main message or something. Not that he comes across that way. He comes across very loving. But I, I thought, man, if I want to be mighty in God, love isn't the answer. Something else must be. No, it's completely wrong. If you want to be mighty, you want to be strong. What does that mean? You want to withstand temptations and trials. You want to stand firm through suffering and difficulty. You want to, you want to withstand the attack and the onslaught of the enemy. The key to that is love being exploding in your heart. Love exploding in your heart will enable you to have might. On the inside. You want to live in the truth of greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Love is the answer to that. Knowing the love of God. Paul also gives us this. That the love of God, it's not only for the spirit of a man. It's to strengthen and fill the soul of the man. Which will ultimately impact his thoughts and his will and his emotions. I'll get into this more as we get through the text, but, but here's the point. Love isn't supposed to just be like, okay, yes, I know God loves me. It's in, you know, my spirit's born again, and, and that's what's going on. No, no, no. Love is supposed to fill your spirit and then pass the boundary between your spirit and your soul. You know, your spirit and your soul are different, and, and your soul is this, the seat of your emotions. It's, it's where you, you, you conceive thought, and it's your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's where you, you make volitional choices, and what God has put in your spirit is not supposed to just stay in your spirit it's supposed to permeate through that boundary between soul and spirit and it's supposed to seed into your mind and seed into your emotions and seed into your will so that the decisions you make are based out of love and not selfishness or arrogance or hate or fear so often we don't recognize what's compelling and motivating us and I would just tell you, if love isn't the chief motivator of your heart, if it's not the chief motivator of your mind, it's captivating your thoughts and your will and, and your, your decisions and actions, if love isn't that motivator, that's your goal to grow in. That love would be the issue. That God's love would be the chief motivator of your soul. That's what Paul prays here. I'll get into that in just a second. Love is limitless. The love of God is boundless. The, the, the love of God is infinite. It's immeasurable. It's beyond uh, anything you can, you can measure. It's, it's, 
It's more than you need. That's the point. There's more of God's affections for you than you could possibly even receive. He likes you more than you can handle. I just, you know, I told you I got this puppy. I pick him up, and I'm like, hey, buddy. And he's like, I mean, just licking you down. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's more than I can take. It's more, that's more licking than I can take. <laughs> that's an inferior example. <laughs> God doesn't lick us. But the affection in that little puppy for me is more than I'm able to deal with. And that's God. God can pin all your capacities of pleasure and desire to a level 10. You can be overwhelmed with affection so full on the inside. And God goes, I'm not even getting started yet because it's infinite the way I feel about you. And believers, so many believers struggle with, does God even like me? And, and, and God's like, my affections for you are infinite. You, you don't even have the capacity to receive all that I want to give. I am so head over heels. I'm crazy about you. That's how the, the, the father is. That's how Jesus is. I'm crazy about you. You, you have no idea. You've overwhelmed me. That's what the language he uses in Song of Solomon. You've overwhelmed me. And then he wants to overwhelm us. And truly, if God opened the floodgate of his affections on us, we would not be able to take it. I imagine we would just disintegrate under the weight of love. Because there's more that he feels and has for us than we're even able to contain. It's limitless. It's boundless. And as I've said, the love of God is to be known experientially. See, I mentioned that it's the exclamation point on chapters 1 through 3. And D, I, I mentioned this, that in order for us to stand in the reconciliation that God's purchased for us on the cross, in order for us to stand reconciled with God and reconciled with one another, the only way that that works the only way that we stand in the vertical reconciliation and the horizontal reconciliation is coming to the fullness of love. There's no other way. There's no other way. This is really the, this, the biggest challenge with societies and, and, and nations is that somehow we're trying to find peace without love. Not going to happen. There's no peace without the cross and there's no power in the cross without love. That is the, the only thing that enables us to stand in the reconciliation, the love of God. And oh man, how critical is that? How critical is that? And for the church to be able to be a testimony of the principalities and powers, for the church to be able to stand against the onslaught of, of demonic activity, and, and the church to actually manifest God's wisdom to, to an entire infrastructure of, of principalities and powers, the church has to be a shining example of love. That's ultimately what the cross works. Is that when the cross works in you, love takes root in you. Your heart is reduced to love. You give, you serve, you bless with, with regard for others and regard for Jesus. And self is kneeling before the throne. Come on. This is where love wants to take us. To this place of, of real fullness and affection, real fullness in prioritizing others, prioritizing Jesus. And, and you know what? Somebody goes, well, if I don't look out for myself, nobody else will. Well, I'll tell you this. Look out for love, and you won't care about looking out for self. The problem is that we're so fixated on self that we don't want to love anymore. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. In the last days, the love of many would do what? Grow cold. It's no uh, wonder that Paul also then breaks down. He says to Timothy, in the last days, men will be lovers of self. Love of self, an, an inappropriate fixation on self, will ultimately cause true love in the heart to grow cold. 
When somebody's operating with, I've got to get mine and what's for me and, and I've got to look out for number one, they are never flowing in love. There is an appropriate love for self, but it's not this, it's not this narcissism that we see that's filled our society. An appropriate love for self If you want to know the definition of that, what's an appropriate love for self? It's just agreeing with God's opinion of you. If you want to love yourself well, agree with what God says about you because that will rewire everything about how you think and all of a sudden you'll realize, I'm accepted, I'm affirmed, I'm called, I'm blessed. He calls me blessed. I'm his. I'm his delight. I'm one he takes pleasure in. And all of a sudden, that is an appropriate way to view yourself. And when you recognize that you're one who who, who lives under the affections of God's love, that is how you love yourself well, is by by agreeing with God's uh, opinion of you rather than agreeing with what the enemy says and what the world says. So many people, they live their life out of past hurt. They live their life out of experiences with people or, or just, you know, failures. And all of a sudden, their opinion of themselves is completely different than God's opinion of themselves. And, and here's the deal you got to get to. If God says he likes you, what business do you have hating you? See, so loving yourself is really about agreeing with God's opinion of you and not the opinion that the enemy has tried to to fashion for you, which comes through a bunch of different ways, experiences with people, experiences with family, all sorts of different ways. They speak to us of who we are, what we're worth, and God goes, I have a whole different thing to say to you, who you are and what you're worth. Look at my son on the cross. That's what you're worth to me. All right, let's read this passage. Y'all already sound like y'all are ready for the altar call. I haven't even read the verse yet. <laughs> this, is, this is to me in so many ways one of my life messages it's something I want to be able to tell people I've, I've said this many times but I, I, I want to be able to walk up to people and have such a richness of love in me I just want to say Jesus loves you and with the full weight of that revelation have their heart just crack open right, right there just through the phrase that, even, that phrase has become even trite it's become even cliche but oh if you could have revelation of the love of God so working so welled up on the inside of you that when you actually say the phrase it comes with like a bomb attached to it and you just see people's hearts explode that's that's kind of like one of my life goals let's read this passage so for this reason now we finally get to the reason What does he mean? For this reason, I do what? He says, I bow my knees to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, and that he would would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let's just work through this. I've taken the passage. I broke it down in in points. And I want to make a few comments on each of these points. I'll take more time with others. He says... I bow my knee to the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. Here's the thing that I want us to all realize. And this helps us just get out of a a me and mine sort of Western mentality. If we'll just realize this, that there's a far greater kingdom family than just what we see right before us. There is an entire kingdom family that includes every single person on the planet who has said yes to Jesus and includes every single person who has died but has lived on the planet and has said yes to Jesus. There are Old Testament saints. There are New Testament saints. There are saints from a century ago, from a decade ago, from every kind of tribe, tongue, people, and nation that are all a part of our family. This is a wild thought to me. 
Because you talk about a family reunion where you don't know everybody. Oh, man. Now, some of you guys have those family reunions. The Palmers have about 75,000 people at their family reunion. Some of y'all have those families where the family reunion is like, you know, you got to rent a stadium for it. And, and there's hundreds of people there, and you go, I, I, don't, I don't really, I know Aunt Sally's so-and-so's husband, but I'm not sure. And you just kind of imagine this, billions of real human beings who really said yes to Jesus, and they are family to you. They're really family to you. I mean, there are millions across the planet of all cultures and nations I always think about our brothers and sisters that are part of the, the heavenly family that are, that are suffering right now across nations, in, in nations where, where maybe the gospel is outlawed. I just read a, a headline this week that North Korea just executed something like 80 believers for just owning a Bible. They did a public execution. Those are our brothers and sisters, y'all. That's our brothers and, that's our brothers and sisters. And, and, I, and I just think about all the, the ripple effects of the way that just instills fear and pain in the hearts of all of our brothers and sisters are still alive. But those, those 80, they're with Jesus now, which praise the Lord for that. But man, that's my family. That's my family. And, and we have to get out of sort of this, this nationalistic Christianity where it's like, the American Christian is better than the whatever Christian. No, that's not real. Uh, our, our identity in Christ and the kingdom of God is greater than any nationalistic identity. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful and thankful for the liberties that we experience in the United States. But our identity in the kingdom, it, it supersedes any, any national identity that we would carry. Now, come on. I bow my knee to the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth gets its name. And I just think about it. You and I have got family members who have already passed in to glory. They're already in the throne room. They're there before the throne. And, and the Bible says they're a cloud of witnesses and they're cheering us on. And they're praying for us before the throne. They're, they're looking down and I don't know exactly how much detail they get, but they look down into, the, into time and they say, Lord, help those guys. It's serious. <laughs> There's a prayer meeting going on right around the throne right now. And those, those saints that have gone before our family, they're making intercession with our elder brother, Jesus, whoever lives to make intercession for us. Amen. The whole family in heaven and earth. He says, I pray that you'd be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, according to the riches of his glory. We've already talked about this, but that word riches that Paul uses over and over and over in the book of Ephesians, it's a word wealth. It means an excess. In other words, God's got more glory than you and I can ever imagine or handle. It's an infinite glory. And God, what he does is he takes from his glory and he strengthens us with might in our inner man. He takes from his glory, he puts inside of us glory, and it causes us to be fortified on the inside. What's strengthening you on the inside is a manifestation of God's glory. It comes only through a revelation of love, and it only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's a point that I want to make. He says, I pray that you be strengthened with uh, might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. All right? Now, a lot of people misunderstand what Paul's actually praying right there. They think that Paul is asking for believers to be strengthened in their spirit, in their inner man and in their heart. But here's the thing. Believers, when you got born again, and the Holy Spirit came to live inside you, where did he come and live? In your spirit. In your spirit, okay? And so when he came in your spirit, when the Holy Spirit came into your spirit, did he come with, you know, just sort of, you know, by himself and leave the Father and the Son out? No, Jesus said, my Father and I will come and make our abode in you by the Spirit, right? So the Godhead comes and lives in our spirit. Oh, man, wait. We can't just go, yeah, that's a good one. No, no. Father, Son, Holy Spirit come and live in us 
by the Holy Spirit in our spirit. Wow. That's a point we need to meditate on. I just, we really need to think about that. Who's on the inside of you? But here's the point. In your spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living by the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, right? Do you need to get more God in there? No, you've already got him in there. You know where you need more God? In your soul. Your mind has to be renewed by the word. Isn't that right? And so what he's praying is this, that God who's in your spirit would begin to seep out through the barrier between spirit and soul. And this is what what Paul talked about, the writer of Hebrews talked about. He says the word of God, it pierces the division, the barrier between soul and spirit. And it causes what's on the inside of you in your spirit to get into your soul, to get into your mind, to get into your will, and to get into your emotions so that you're operating from that place right in the seat of who you are in your soul. And oh, beloved, this is our portion that our soul would ultimately be possessed by the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of our spirit. Amen. And that's what Paul's praying for. He goes, I'm praying that might, might would be in your inner man. You'd be strengthened in your soul by might in your inner man by the spirit that Christ would dwell in your heart. And there, see, he's not talking about the spirit because you've already got Christ dwelling in your spirit. He's saying that Christ would dwell in your soul. By the Holy Spirit, that the way you think and feel and your decisions would all be made through that that Holy Spirit influencing and impacting your soul. Oh, man, that's our portion. See, that's what Paul's asking, that you would come to this place. God's asking, he's asking God that you would come to this place of fullness and maturity so that from your very soul, you wouldn't walk around completely unrenewed. You'd walk around plenished. By the Holy Spirit. So he says that Christ would dwell in your faith and your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So when I think of rooted and grounded, I just think of this roots go down, and from grounds or foundations you build up. And so he's saying that everything on the inside, all the internal wiring, would be impacted by love. So that everything that's grounded, that's built from a foundation out of you, is love. He goes, I want everything inside you to be love and everything coming out of you love. Rooted and grounded in love. That you be able to comprehend with all the saints. I can't really talk about that, but there's this cooperative reality of experiencing the love of God that God desires for us to to walk in. That you comprehend with all the saints, what? What is the width? Length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So, this is what I want to anchor to. And, and what Paul's doing, let me just give you the technical of it. He goes, The width, the length, the depth, and the height, like a compass. He could have said, The north, south, the east, and the west. In other words, he goes, That you would comprehend. The, the uh, inexhaustible expanse of the love of God. The multidimensional, inexhaustible expanse of the love of God. You're rooted and grounded in it so that this, this, this overwhelming love is something you would live from. And here's what I believe Paul is actually trying to get the Ephesian church and trying to get believers to just, to just do with our lives is that we would live only from love, which would then require us to have hundreds and hundreds of experiences in the love of God. This is far different than you listened to that one sermon series that one time, and you got it, God likes you. You got it that one time. No, he said, I want you to know it. And that word know, it's the Bible word for, for, for man knows a wife. It's the intimacy word. 
That word, he goes, I want it to completely fill you, to overwhelm you. I want you to have such an interchange with the love of God that it's experiential. And that you know it in every dimension. What is he talking about? He's talking about hundreds of experiences and the love of God. Not just mentally assenting like you could answer the the box on the test if we passed it out. Does God love you? Yes. He's talking about hundreds of experiences over a life. Some mountaintops. Some just kind of like just that, that knowing internally. But, but what he's praying and he's trying to get to the, to the church to understand is you can't be what God has made you to be unless you live completely whelmed with the love of God at all times. Now, here's where our challenge is at IHOP. We preach it, teach it, pray it so often. We think we know it. But we haven't even started yet. Because it's infinite. Right? It's infinite. So how do you actually exhaust infinity? You don't. Now watch this. You and I are encased in flesh, right? We live behind time, right? We're stuck in flesh and we live behind the veil of time. The Bible tells us this, that we only ever see on this side through a glass darkly. Isn't that right? But in a minute, face to face. I mean, talk about turning the volume up to 11 at that point. I mean, God just, boom! Face to face. We're staring into the face of love. And for forever, we get to be overwhelmed with the love of God. But here's the point. That it's not just something that we're supposed to reserve until we see face to face. It's something that we're supposed to live whelmed with day in and day out every day of our life. And I'm telling you, it's not just knowing the answer. It's experiencing the love of God in your heart to where it compels you every single day. To where you're going, why do I, live to, why do I want to do anything today? Why do I want to live today? Oh, you love me. What's the reason to forgive that person that wronged me? Oh, you love me. Why would I want to serve and bless and, and give? Why? Why? Oh, you love me. You love me. You love me. And from there, everything else flows. See, guys, it's got to be a regular part of our life. Where we still ourselves. Where we, we put away the digital screen and the device. We put down the phone. And we, we open the Bible and read the verse. Or we kick our head back and, and pull that one up to, to, to our memory. And we say, okay, Lord. You say that as the Father loves you, you have loved, have loved me. Explain it to me. Touch me with that. Make it real to me. That's what I love to say to the Lord. I go, make it real to me again. Do you know he doesn't ever get tired of that? You know why? Because love is patient. Love is infinite and love is patient. Love is infinitely patient. He wants you to ask him again and again and again and again. And he doesn't ever get tired. We use this English term, long-suffering, but that's not the right way. That's not, that doesn't express what the patience of God is because God, when he's patient, he never suffers. You hear me? He never suffers. You and I, when we're waiting, we're like, oh my gosh, take it forever. God's like, I'll tell you again. You're like, God, I know I should know this. But I, he goes, no, 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 I'll tell you again. I'm happy to tell you again. You're like, no, no, I probably should get it back. No, no, no. I'm happy to tell you again. And you're like, but you probably told me a million times. He goes, actually, 3,435,627. But I'll tell you again. I'm not worn out with you. I'm infinite in my love for you. And I'm infinite in my patience for you. And I'll tell you as many times as you need to know it. Because my greatest desire is you'd know my love. And for whatever reason, our shame, our pain, 
our, our boundaries that we've imposed upon ourselves, our, our mentalities about the way we think God views us, all these things inhibit us coming to God to get the very thing we need from Him, which is love. I was thinking about the Bible. This is just nuts if you think about the Bible. So you have the book of Psalms, right? So Psalms are songs of worship, right? So psalm of worship or a song of worship is really a love song. Worship is nothing but the interchange of love between God and his people. So we have 150 songs of love in the Bible. And then we have Song of Solomon, eight full chapters, the greatest song that's ever been written. The Bible calls it the greatest song ever. Eight full chapters, that's a love song. The central issue is coming to know the love of God. And then we have God in his own self-definition. He says, uh, I'm a consuming fire. A consuming fire of what? Love. And then through John, he says, guess what? Let's just make it clear. God is love. And then Jesus goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I've come to express, to only do, and to only say what I've seen the Father do, and I've heard the Father say. And what is Jesus to the world? God's expression of love, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. Guys, the whole book is love. It's love. It's love. It's about God whelming you with love. And this is how we're supposed to live with hundreds and hundreds of experiences of love filling our souls. And when we get to that place, I don't know if you love me. That's okay. Come back to him and ask him to tell you again. Because he never gets tired. You know what I realize about us as God's children? Sometimes we don't perceive love. We just don't get it. We don't see how he's loving us. But you know, I was thinking about this thing, and and I think it's right. It's more my opinion than it is Bible verses, but just think this through. You know, you, we, we all kind of buy into the fact that we've all got different ways that we experience love. We call them love languages. There's a book written several years ago about love languages, you know, one person likes gift and gifts, another person likes you know, quality time, you know, and another person likes words of affirmation, another person's physical touch, another person likes acts of service. And, and there's probably 10 more love languages, really. You know, recreational fellowship, whatever. <laughs> Combat, I love it, you know, whatever. <laughs> Brave hearty guys. So there's all these things, and, and that's how you experience love. And you ever notice we always try to give what we want? You know, that's kind of the thing about love. Like, you know, we're always doing for others what we want people to do for ourselves. We're sowing our love language. If you ever you don't know what your love language is, what do you tend to do when you're trying to be nice to somebody? That's probably your love language. I'm over there like rubbing their shoulders. Hey, how are you? He's like, that's a little hard. Could you get off me? You know, I'm like, oh, 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 sorry. But because I like physical touch. No, don't come hug me afterwards. But, but I do. Everybody's like, oh, brother. I'm like, just Anyway, okay, so. <laughs> just being honest. All right, so. I like physical touch from people that I'm close to. Okay. I'm close to y'all, but you know what I mean. Real close. All right. So, sorry I have to say all that. Okay. I think God actually does love to us in the way that we can experience it most. You know, some people, when they're experiencing the love of God, it's this full touch thing. And they're just like, man, I just felt like it was like electrical waterfall lightning bolts with fireballs on it. And man, I was just, oh, it was awesome. And you're like, okay, okay. And then, and then the, uh, you know, we, so we tend to emphasize the ones with this physical wow of God on it. And, and some people go, they go, that's interesting. I've never felt that. And then they start doing the math. I must have never felt his love if his love is lightning bolts with fireballs coming off of it. But meanwhile, they're, they're more cerebral. They, they experience love through understanding. And bang, they continue to get all these little nuggets, these little thoughts, these little in, intricate things that, are in their, that the Lord is just showing them, little details about himself in their mind. They don't feel a thing, but man, it's captivating. See, they, they might be a words person, but they're looking at the feeling person, the touch person, and they're going, oh, I need to get a, a touch. Meanwhile, God's been touching them with words their entire time, and they didn't realize that God was loving on them. Some people are gifts people. They just, they just 
They just give gifts. They, they want to receive gifts. That's how they feel love. Have you ever been around a person that's always getting free stuff? I'm like, how do you always get free stuff? Uh, Jamie Pridgen, the man, the male version, Jamie Pridgen, that dude gets more free stuff than anybody I've ever met. And like you can go to the you can go to a restaurant together, and, and you're gonna buy yours, and he and the per, and he's gonna come up and he's gonna get his. And I, I mean, and you buy yours, and you're just trying to be as nice as possible, and and you might even hint like you know any hookups, I'm happy to have one. And they're like, uh huh, that'd be nine ninety five, thank you. And and they just move you along, give you your food. Here's Jamie. He's like, I think I want a number one. And they ring it up. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, sir. Let me get a number two. And they're like, it's okay. You can have them both. <laughs> and he'll come walking back. I got two meals. I don't know how. <laughs> but he, it's like, <laughs> he gets more stuff. He has a story like that, like weekly, about how God gave him something. Well, I think he must be a gifts person. <laughs> But here's the problem. If I'm sitting there lusting after the gift that he got, meanwhile, God's touching me in my way, I've completely messed God's message of love for me. Don't sit there and look at how God's ministering to someone else and think, that's what I need to have. God wants to meet you in your way. You know, it took me about 20 years in my marriage to realize that my wife and I encounter God differently. She experiences God a whole different way than I do. I used to try to get her to, to experience God in my way. Just shout. Come on, shout to the Lord. You'll feel it. This is not her. She's like, yay. I'm like, more. You know? No, she experiences God her way. I experience. That's what makes us different. That what's, that what's, that's what makes us unique. And, and that's the point about you is that God wants to love you. He wants to love you. He wants you to experience him. But what we have to do is be able to slow down and ask him to show me the height, the width, the depth, the length. I'm convinced of what Paul was saying with there, that you know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I'm convinced, he's saying, I'm praying for you, Ephesian church, that you would stay overwhelmed in your life continuously by the love of God. The love that will blow your mind. It's like in the prayer, he's praying that we wouldn't just try to figure love out. He's going, it's actually beyond understanding. He uses this term, comprehend. That that word is better, it's better understood as catch. I pray that you catch the love of God, which passes knowledge. That you be filled with all the fullness. Filled with all the fullness of God. And I can't even do the rest of this. Exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. See, God doesn't want to withhold. He wants to give you more than you can imagine. He wants to give you more than you've ever dreamed. More than you can even conceive. Amen. And it all comes from the revelation of love, guys. My word to us, my word to IHOP, the whole IHOP spiritual family is slow down. Slow down and ask, ask God to tell you again. And then ask Him to tell you again. And make your life a continual experience of flowing back and forth in the love of God. If we don't set that as our standard for how to live, we've completely missed the point of knowing love. That we would live whelmed in love until love overwhelms us. Amen? Amen, amen. Let's stand.